guys, it's Lily Cheek, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Ample Cause, our justification. And I just wanted to go over our Bible study that we did last week because a big majority of it had got cut off and I didn't record, and I kind of like to document my work and document, um, you know, our journey in my Bible studies as, you know, I want to leave my content um, behind my work as uh, documentation of, um, you know, I'm not here for, um, simple-minded <laughs> nonsense as, you know, I have uh, work to do in the persecution. And so, um, we were just kind of going through, uh, John, um, 15 and, um, some of the verses had to do with, uh, the vine and the branches and, uh, God pruning and how, um, you know, every true, uh, example is, is pruned, otherwise you're cut off and thrown into the fire. And so, um, let's see, I'll go ahead and read the, the verse to us. The vine and the branches. I am the true vine, and my father is a vineyard keeper. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit, so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. So neither can you, unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him, produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit, and prove to be my disciples. So we'll stop right there, and um, it continues to show um, Christ-like love after that. We'll kind of put a little bit from there. And so, um, I'm going to go ahead and say a quick prayer and we'll begin our lesson. Father God, thank you so much for this time together and this time to just honor you and your word. Thank you for being our ultimate teacher. Thank you for um, guiding us and for showing us that your words um, give life and your words don't fall um, on deaf ears and they don't return void. And your words uh, infuse meaning into our life and into our our day, so maybe continue to just um, cover this time and honor you and glorify you with it. And may you uh, speak to us, and may we um, heed and, and hear. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Okay, so um, one more question: Those you know, uh, those buying the branches um, relationship of Christ and believers, um, you know, is often illustrated with God pruning us and God uh, cutting away. Um, branches, right? We say um, every true child of um, of Christ is uh, disciplined, right? And that's how you are. I'm not even recording that. I guess my recording didn't go through. Um, I just uh, quickly prayed for us when we were in John 15 um, regarding the uh, vine and the branches. And if you didn't catch it on here, I have a podcast um, that I'm recording this on. Uh, Ample cause uh, our justification. My podcast in. Uh, you can find it on pretty much every podcast station, and so uh, or platform, whatever you guys call it. And um, I was just talking about how every true disciple 
is prudent by Christ and how he disciplines us, you know, and um, like our father, our earthly fathers discipline us, uh, so does our heavenly father, and you know, that yields uh, righteousness and holiness, and so, um, you know, if he doesn't print you, uh, essentially, you'll be a branch cut off and thrown to the fire and absolutely um, worthless. And I think we've seen that with, you know, Judas and Peter and the difference between um, being a branch that's completely cut off and then one that's maybe like a uh, prune. And we also know that, you know, being consistent uh, with God and his character, he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily, you know, cut off and then craft um, back in as we've Note it, uh, but essentially, you know, there might be like a stumbling of your faith, and you break a covenant, and then for a time, um, you know, he might uh, um, use that to bring Gentiles in and then um, restore uh, that covenant that you broke because of his faithfulness, and you know, it will be restored. So, um, with the vine and the branches, you know, we hear a lot about. Um, gardening and planting and, um, you know, farmer talk because that was the audience of Jesus and that was his, his context of his time. So he used a lot of, um, parables and stories that they could relate to in their everyday life and their jobs. And Paul even goes on to tell us a little more in Corinthians and he tells us that, you know, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? They're all servants through whom you believed and each has a role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now the one planting and the one watering are one in purpose, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to God's grace that was given to me, I've laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one must be careful how he builds on it, for no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. The foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will be obvious, for the day will disclose it because it will be either revealed by fire, and the fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, it'll be lost, but he'll be saved, yet it'll be like escape through the fire. Don't you yourselves know that you're God's sanctuary and that the Spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's sanctuary, God will destroy him. God's sanctuary is holy, and that's what you are. So we see Paul here talking about this. Um, there are some factions in the church, and people were like, "I follow Apollos," and others were like, "Well, no, I follow Paul." And some were like, "I follow uh, Peter," and I follow you know all the different people that were um, coming to them and uh, preaching to them. And essentially, Paul had to tell them like, "Hey." Um, who, who, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? They're all servants of God. And they're all uh, work co-workers for, for God. And essentially, uh, Christ is the one that gives a growth. And so he's like, 
you know, Apollo's plant, or the Lord, uh, I planted, Paul planted, Apollo's water, and God gave the growth. So he's like, you shouldn't, you know, have um, put one person above the other and another above the other. He's like, then the day they're all co-workers and each have their own giftings and their own um, special uh, purposes that God assigned each one. And at the end of the day, it's God who gets the credit for the growth. And, um, you know, one waters and one plants. And it doesn't matter because each one will receive its word, a reward from God. So, you know, if you're a waterer or you're a planter, it, it doesn't matter. You do it, you know, as if you're receiving your reward from God and he'll reward you. And how you build on the foundation, which is Christ, um, will be revealed by the fire. And what you build on, on Christ is what ultimately the quality of your work is. And, you know... Um, the fire will, will, be, will test it. And it's kind of like, you know, how do you know if uh, something is genuine or something is uh, fraudulent or fake? And ultimately that genuine uh, lasts uh, through the fire, right? And it can uh, withstand the heat and it's not fizzled up and burned up and, you know, everything else. Uh, that's, you know, especially if we're talking about um, jewelry or something like that, you know, uh, won't, won't pass the test. And so it's like, you know, um, your, your work uh, might be burnt up or it might last and it's like you know if your work is burnt up you you will be saved but you'll scarcely escape it if through the fire even though you're a believer and you might not have built much on the foundation you you know you'll be saved but, but your work in, in life with nothing and you'll it says um, if anyone's work is burnt up it'll be lost but he'll be saved yeah, it will be like an escape through the fire, right? So build wisely while you're here and build, um, you know, work that's uh, going to withstand the fire and, and genuine and uh, withstand the test. And, you know, yes, yes, you both will be saved, <laughs> but, but what, what, what's your work and what foundation did you build on? <clears throat> Excuse me. And so ultimately, you know, um, we're all servants of Christ and we're all um, servants that have the stewardship of the gospel and it's God's field and so uh, we all have one purpose and we're all co-workers co-workers in this field and you know it's God's gifting to us to uh, grow us from there and give the growth to what we build so that's kind of a great example of um, this pruning and uh, pruning us for this work and so um you know, um, uh, John 5, 3, we have some earlier teachings of, of Christ, and he kind of um, mentioned that um, not all of you are clean, and um, in John now, he mentions that, you know, let's see what it is saying, you're clean with my word, uh, go back to my book. He prunes every branch that does not produce fruit, so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. So, you know, we can do nothing without God who gives the growth. And, um, you know, we want to produce good good works. And so, you know, we're already clean. We learned that with Peter, how um, Christ washed, you know, the disciples' feet and, and showed them that, you know, uh, not all of you are clean. But those that are don't need a bath, they just need their, their feet washed and constant repentance. Um, but not necessarily um, whole bath like, like Judas who wasn't fully clean. 
And so, God kind of likened that to Hosea. We have this account of Israel and God's relationship with Israel. And they were in this covenant with God, right? These, of all the people that are at God, God revealed himself to, to this people. And that's how they became a people, right? That's how they became the Hebrews. And um, essentially, uh, because God revealed himself to them, that's when they became a people group. And uh, I am who I am, right? This, uh, the great I am in uh, Exodus. God revealed who he is uh, to, to Moses and to the the Hebrews who they became. And so, um, at that point, you know, no other people on all the earth had uh, God reveal himself to them, uh, as in this uh, situation, and as in the Israelites and the, the Hebrews. And so, you know, God entered this covenant with them, and God um, wed them in a sense and made this um, pact with them, this, uh, this covenant with them. And he told them, like, you were unfaithful to me, and you violated my covenant. And um, he likens it to this marriage picture that we have um, in Hosea. And my my time got cut out here, but I'll go ahead and get started. Uh, when the Lord first spoke to Hosea, he said this to him: "Go and marry a promiscuous wife, and have children of promiscuity, for the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord." So he went and married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Excuse me. And my recording going down here, I'm just um, posting this video real quick because I do a lot of uh, uh, that comes really noticeable when I hear myself on recording, but if you watch the video, it's not so noticeable as you the nuances of speech play out. So, while I do that, bear with me real quick. Okay. And so, God likens this to um, this recording. So God likens uh, Israel to this wife that's been unfaithful. And then he told her, um, So he went and married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to him, Name him Jezreel. For in a little while I'll bring the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day I'll break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Name her no compassion, Laruhamah. And I'll no longer have compassion on the house of Israel. I'll certainly take them away, but I'll have compassion on the house of Judah, and I'll deliver I'll deliver them, the Lord said to the Lord their God. By the Lord their God. I'll not deliver them by bow, sword, or war, or by horses or cavalry. After Gomer had weaned no compassion, she conceived again. So you have this picture of these um, kids and their names are, you know, um, the, they, like their Hebrew names are like, Lord, my, no compassion is what he calls this kid. Another one is um, uh, not, not my people. And so he says, after Gomer had weaned no compassion, she conceived and gave birth to a son. And then the Lord said, name him not my people, for you are not my people. And I will not be your God. 
Yet the number of the Israelites will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where they were told, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. And the Judeans and the Israelites will be gathered together, and they will appoint for themselves a single ruler. So, you know, God kind of, um, you know, we, we see how he, um, tell him, you, you were this wife uh, that was unfaithful to me. And then you had these kids, and there's just bloodshed, and I have no compassion on you, and, um, you will not be my people, right? And then after, um, you know, a time of this, uh, pruning, uh, again, they'll be called, um, you are not my people. You will be called the sons of the living God. I, I will put my spirit in your dry bones and they will live. And you will be uh, children of God, right? Uh, of, the, of, the, of the living God. And um, the Judeans and Israelites will be gathered together and I'll appoint for themselves a single ruler. And, um, you know, they'll be as numerous as the sea in the sea. We see talk from Abraham, remember, uh, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars of the sky. We see this. Uh, talk once again as uh, your descendants will be uh, numerous again. And so we just see this uh, multiplicity of um, the fruit after the pruning and this um, uh, very much fruit, right? And um, after God prunes them and um, uh, disciplines them, uh, we see how they can have true fruit and true fruit um, as in sons of the living God come as you know um, the Israelites have uh, rebelled against God and they were um, um, Romans says uh, you know cut off and will be corrupted back in but you know God essentially is like you violated my covenant and uh, I'll have no compassion on you you are not I am this is kind of like a, a play of words we know that God uh, revealed himself as as I am, and then here, um, he kind of says, no compassion, which is, um, kind of, uh, the unfaithfulness of, of Israel, and it says, uh, where is it, um, I'll, I'll take them away, and so, um, oh, wait, where was I, oh, oh, so my people, um, Will not be, I will not be your guest. So when I was talking about um, the great I am, right, that's how God revealed himself initially to uh, Moses. Uh, tell, him, tell him I am sent you, right? And we see through John, um, which was written to the Jews to kind of solidify this Messiah that they're waiting for and to prove uh, by the signs that he was a Messiah. He says, I am. I am talking about Jesus like I am. And he was kind of confirming what they that should have known. And here we see um, this not my people. Well, essentially, that is, um, I'll not be your God is literally, and I will not be to you. So we kind of this play on words uh, of the opposite of the I am, and I will not be to you, of uh, I will not be your God, kind of like the reverse of that here. And, um, yeah, and it could be rendered like, and I am not, I am, and I am not, I am, is context of the I am that they have known. Right? I'll not be your God, and you'll not be my people. And so, uh, this is kind of like this God, God's decree of divorce to, to them, and God's, um, <laughs> well, my camera moved there, and God's kind of like, uh, issuing this, uh, divorce to, to Israel. 
screen. And so, um, And so uh, we know that this then is brought back to this uh, Abrahamic covenant. And so we know this is kind of um, getting to be reminiscent of this um, Abrahamic covenant. Uh, going back to that, and we hear. And once again, I'll have compassion on you. No compassion. And uh, you'll be children of the living God. And so we see how he kind of um, says that he will restore them and bring them uh, back into this covenant relationship with him. And so that's just a great uh, example of this uh, pruning and the fruitfulness uh, that is only found when you abide in Christ and only found um, in Christ. And then, uh, and then um, you know, how do we, um, how do we um, know about this thing um, from our own experiences too? We know, um, well, Um, when, when Paul was uh, church planning in Acts, uh, he went and had appointed elders in every church and prayed and, and prayed and was fasting. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And after they spoke the message in Perga, they went down to Atalaya. And from there, they sailed back to Antioch. And from there, they've been entrusted uh, to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. The trust for the work, uh, to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. And after they arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a considerable time with the disciples. So we know that the churches were being strengthened. Um, we've seen how God opened the door for the Gentiles now, right? And um, this was um, God's time of bringing the Gentiles in through this uh, pruning of Israel. And um, we see this, um, especially in Acts, as Paul, you know, put him in many churches and um, was, uh, uh, you know, um, commending uh, the, the faith and um, how the Gentiles uh, became um came into the faith. And so one thing I want to point out is, you know, it talks about how when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed and fasted and committed them to the Lord whom they had believed. And so we kind of see that, um, you know, the appointed elders, right? These were appointed after praying and fasting and um, sailing out uh, who would be the best leader in these roles and this oversight and this responsibility. But one thing we, we know is this wasn't in the town. This wasn't uh, in their, their, their daylight. This was in the church, y'all. The elders were in the church. He appointed them in the church. So this wasn't, you know... Um, for, for, for towns, it wasn't for um, people in their homes, it wasn't for um, the region, it was, no, no, they appointed elders to have an oversight role and be leaders in the church. And that's what they appointed them to. 
And so, and that's what they were, uh, you know, prayed for and fasted and, and commissioned uh, for. And so it was, you know, um, their role in the church. And that's what these are for that's how they're being upbuilt and so um you know and then they uh were entrusted to the grace of god for the work they had now completed so that's one thing that we need to get right because it's like no these elders weren't for the people in their daily lives weren't for the people at the supermarket weren't for the people in the secular world weren't for the people at the market but i don't appoint an elder for you at walmart this is in the church this is overseeing seeing church discipleship so, um, that's how uh, elders were established. Well, um, from there, we also have, you know, when we see God's pruning in our own lives, and when we see God's pruning, um, in, um, the history of the Bible, we know that, uh, Philippians give us a good, uh, example of Paul's little, uh, protege, uh, Timothy, who was his true son in the faith, and kind of like, okay, well, Paul was, you know, um, planted churches, and essentially he rose up um, someone to, to help him on, on on his mission, and to do that, and to carry um, his work out while he's in prison, and to go to these churches and help him um, to persevere in the faith, and, and you no know, big majority of Acts is uh, written to uh, letters, written to churches that were having problems and how do we uh, manage the church in, in this in this um, problem here and uh, what do we do when uh, you know there's people that are uh, worshiping you know angels and getting caught up in spiritual gifts and what do we do when people are you know uh, maybe bringing in the law and legalism and they want to uh, build a church on, on legalism and so Paul addresses all these issues and all these letters because the new churches were starting off and um you know we had a lot of problems of people mixing uh the gospel with with what they've known uh traditions uh getting caught, caught up in, in spiritualism and aestheticism and um uh, worshiping of uh you know angels and worshiping the you know, spiritual gifts and all kinds of stuff so Paul had to really lay down uh, the foundations of these churches because can you imagine if we had all these churches that branched off today um, how confused we'd be how the gospel would have been kept entrusted to the church with its purity of its message as the beauty of truth with the entrusting of the church uh, of the gospel and how we could have had all kinds of heresy and you know um, trill down thousands of years later and we would have been all confused over what is the true uh, way to worship and the true um, message of the church of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, um, now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I also may be encouraged when I hear news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character, because he served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with the Father. Therefore, I hope to send him to you soon, as I see how things go with me. I am convinced in the Lord that I myself will also come quickly. And so, um, we know, um, you know, Paul had testified many times about his true son in the faith, uh, Timothy, and how 
This is John MacArthur, by the way. He uses this in his sermon. He combined me before. I keep like sniffing. Oh my god. And so we know how um, Paul was uh, commending uh, Timothy, and he said, like, yeah, I have no one like-minded like him, equal souled and genuinely concerned for the things of Jesus Christ, because everyone else, you know, cares about their own interests and their own um, ways, and he really cares for for your interests, and he is, um, you know, of equal soul and uh, in this for, for Jesus Christ, and, you know, his character was proven and, and tested by the demands of the gospel and tested by the ministry and tested by fire and he had his proven worth um, was shown and so um, you know that's a, another example of uh, how we build and um, our fruit and does it withstand the demands of the, mis- of the ministry does it withstand uh, the fire of the ministry does it just you know just does it uh, withstand the demands of the gospel ministry. So, yes, uh, Paul testified many, many times of uh, Timothy's proven worth and um, history and the faith and how there's no one like-minded, like sold, equally concerned for the genuineness of the things of Christ as well as um, the people all who seek their own interests. Um, and so uh, going on then, you know, um, why is it necessary to bear fruit and um, why is that really important? Well, we know, uh, let's see, Proverbs 25 tells us that. Sorry, it was actually uh, Proverbs 4. So we have this proverb about a father's example. And kind of going along with, you know, we might talk about the father. Um, parents us, disciplines us, but we also talked about um, how, you know, Israel and, and these children, right, were so that he will restore them. Um, how these 
order the food, and these children were. So I was with the examples of. talking about how um, you know the father parents and the children of Israel we learned you know with Gomer and uh, no compassion and uh, not people these you know this picture of uh, the fruit uh, was given as like children and how uh, essentially God was looking for um, fruit that would uh, withstand the fire and uh, be uh, attached to the vine and attached to the life of Christ right abide in me and so um we kind of have a lot of examples of children here and this example of Proverbs 4 says listen my sons to a father's discipline pay attention so that you may gain understanding for I am giving you good instruction don't abandon my teaching when I was a son with my father tender and precious to my mother he taught me and said your heart must hold on to my words Keep my commands and live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Don't forget to turn away from the words of my mouth. Don't forget or turn away from the words of my mouth. Don't abandon wisdom and she'll watch over you. Love her and she'll guard you. Wisdom is supreme. So get wisdom. And whatever else you get, get understanding. Cherish her and she'll exalt you. If you embrace her, she'll honor you. She will place a garland of grace on your head, and she'll give you a crown of beauty. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, it's kind of this uh, picture of uh, the value of wisdom and how supreme it is. And we know the beauty of wisdom is what? Fear of the Lord. And so ultimately, you know, um, to fear the Lord is um, the beginning of, of all wisdom. And so, you know, though it's... it's um, costly and it's um, supreme and you know it may uh, cost you everything to get it uh, we see the great paradox in um, you know losing um, everything for it and how much worth it is so you know it's just um, you know worth uh, everything that you would give up for it. <laughs> and so essentially, you know, um, he tells us the psalm in the writer of Proverbs tells us, you know, like, um, it will be, you know, um, like a garland and a crown on your head and, and like grace and favor to you. And so um, essentially, you know, to purchase this, buy this, you know, sell, sell everything you got for it, right? And, and um, essentially... Um, it'll be the the one thing that um, will, will give you everything that, that you sell, sell to get it. <laughs> and so that's just a great example of this fruit um, that comes from abiding in Christ. And so, you know, people without Christ, sometimes we do good works. We always see um, good charities maybe attached to uh, if you buy coffee, we'll donate shoes to, you know, this cause or that cause. And we um, know there's a lot of good works done by people throughout the world. And it might not be necessarily um, attached to Christ. And I used to, you know, think about this. I'm like, well, then the day if this homeless man needs um, some food, does it matter? 
if a Christian or a Muslim fed him, at the end of the day, he got his food, right? So what's our, what's our point of uh, being, being in Christ, you know? And how do we um, distinguish the difference of, uh, you know, well, the end result was being um, a homeless man or not doing this good deed and the good deed was met to this person. Where does our Christianity come into play or what's, what's the difference, right? So we have a lot of good causes and a lot of good deeds and a lot of good um, contributions in the world. But what is the difference of a fruitful life in Christ? And so, you know, Hebrews 11 kind of elaborates on that and tells us that this week and I think I'm catching it because my throat is severely coarse and dry. My nose keeps running. You know what? I think I'm marking this file. So Hebrews uh, 11 is kind of like this hall of fame of uh, the men of faith uh, throughout the Bible and how they were commended uh, for their faith. They kind of go through a, a list of, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is, but um, it kind of goes through a list of a bunch of um, uh, people throughout the history of the Bible who were commended for their walk in faith in, in this portion I'll read you. And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength after being weak, became mighty in battle, put foreign armies to flight, women received their dead, they were raised to life again. Some men were tortured, not accepting a release, so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings, scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sodden too. They died by the sword, and they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. 
all these were approved through their faith. Not not their works, their faith. But they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, so that they would not be made perfect without us. So all these guys, remember uh, Abraham and uh, Moses and and you know the list was before that, but all these were approved, not, but not necessarily by their works, but by faith. By faith, Abraham believed, right? And so this list of people was uh, was a detailed list of um, men throughout the history of the Bible who were approved by by their faith. And guess what? They didn't receive what was promised to them. And Abraham, he never saw his inheritance as numerous as the stars of the sky, right? He never seen uh, anything that was promised him. Why? So that they, um, God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. And it wasn't until Christ and his resurrection and his uh, perfection and the perfecting of the faith uh, could could we uh, now um, be made perfect, holy um, from Christ. And they weren't perfected until Christ. Um, came as well. So, you know, they were approved for their faith, but they didn't uh, receive what was promised. It wasn't until Christ perfected that. And so we are now made perfect on this side of the cross um, because of uh, partaking in this work, uh, looking back by faith, right, uh, and what Christ has done in his uh, perfecting it for us. So, just a great example of, you know, uh, Christ being the source and the perfecter of Christian's faith, this abiding, and um, essentially to, um, you know, to keep our eyes on on him, and ultimately he is um, um, not the one that uh, helps us to bear fruit, but gives the growth, and and so yes they were approved um, for their faith and it took us even um, by faith Moses was born and when he he uh, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict by faith Moses when he had grown up refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the short-lived pleasure of sin for he considered the reproach because of the Messiah to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since his attention was on the reward. Remember, uh, he was a Hebrew, but he's in Pharaoh's palace, and so he could identify as an Egyptian or Hebrew, but he chose to identify as a Hebrew and suffer reproach than to enjoy the, the short-term pleasures of being uh, considered an Egyptian. And so, um, so we're just talking about how. Uh, Restore them and bring them uh, back into this covenant. Oops. So we just see, you know, how Christ is our essential growth and abiding and perfecter. Well, um, another example is in 
um, Habakkuk. Now, Habakkuk is this book where um, an example of how God prunes, disciplines, administers his wrath, and oftentimes um, with Israel, he would bring in enemy nations and punish Israel uh, with the enemy nation coming in, and then he would turn back and then punish the enemy nation for um, attacking Israel. And we see that in Habakkuk where they're questioning, Habakkuk is uh, questioning God's uh, love, God's concern for Israel, God's care for Israel, his faithfulness to Israel, and he's like, how are you letting the Babylonians uh, come and attack us? How are you bringing in uh, the Babylonians to, uh, you know, fight against us? And, um, you know, where where is God? Why is he allowing um, them to come and fight us? And we see God's answer. This is his uh, third play. His third, his third prayer. Um, and he says, Lord, I've heard the report about you. I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. So, you know, um, he has this complaint against God first that God's being unjust and God is the God's injustice. And then, you know, um, God, God tells them, like, yes, uh, the Babylonians and Chaldeans will invade you. And then his complaint against God uh, is that God's unfair. And then um, God tells them, you know, like, you have faith and justice will prevail. And so now we are in his um, third third prayer, his third um, psalmist. And his, um, to the choir master, it says, like, it's a song almost. And it's his... Um, his fear and wrath, remember mercy, God, and uh, essentially, you know, um, he then he relies on God's um, sovereignty and His goodness and His character, and He will still praise Him. And so uh, he goes on to say, you know, God comes from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covers the heavens, and the earth is full of His praise. His brilliance is like the light. Rays are flashing from his hand. This is where his power is hidden. Plague goes before him. Pestilence follows his steps. He stands and shakes the earth. He looks and startles the nations. The age-old mountains break apart. The ancient hills sink down. His pathways are ancient. I see the tents of Kushan in distress. And the tents, uh, the curtains of the land, the tent curtains of the land of Midian tremble. Are you angry at, at the rivers, Lord? Is your is your wrath against the rivers, or, or is your rage against the sea? Why are you mad at the sea? Why was your rage against the rivers? Your victorious chariot. You took the sheaths from your bow, and the arrows are ready to be used. With an oath, Selah, you split the earth with rivers. The mountains see you and they shudder. A downpour of water sweeps by. The deep roars with its voice and lifts its waves high. The sun and the moon stand still. 
their lofty residence. At the flash of your flying arrows, at the brightness of your shining spear, you march across the earth with indignation. You trample down the nations in wrath, and you come out to save your people, to save your anointed. You crush the leader of the house of the wicked. Strip him from foot to neck. Selah. You pierce his head with his own spears. His warriors storm out to scatter us, gloating as if ready to secretly devour the weak. You tread the sea with your horses, steering up the great waters. This is Habakkuk's confidence in God in here expressed. I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness, like decay, death, cancer, entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. Though the fig tree doesn't bud, and there is no fruit on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there is no sheep in the pen, no uh, cattle in the stall, I will triumph in Yahweh. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Yahweh, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer. He enables me to walk on mountain heights. For the choir director on string instruments, say law, right? That's kind of his victory. Uh, song. So it's just a great reminder of um, you know, God's uh, deliverance there that he waits on and God reminds himself of God's strength and um, ultimately uh, reminds himself of God's faithfulness um, and it kind of goes back to this verse in 2-4 uh, where he says look his ego is inflated he's without integrity but the righteous one will live by their faith. And that's kind of this full circle where we see all the rejoicing in God and my salvation um, come into play at the end of his prayer. So yes, um, God does um, does show his strength and you know he will wait uh, for God and trust trust God's faithfulness even when there's no, you know, all crop olive crop in the and, um, you know, there's no food in the fields, and the sheep are not in time of famine, right? There's nothing left in the whole town, the whole um, place is ravaged and ransacked, and so, by that I mean, and there's nothing left. So, um, you know, we have this uh, text here that Christ tells us, you know, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you, and we often think of, you know, um, Lining our prayers with, with God's and uh, making sure that our Christ in the garden, uh, I guess me, had to, because somebody had to uh, go three times and, and ask God, you know, not my will be done, but your will, and align his will with, with the Father's, um, for his prayers to be aligned, asking, you shall receive, right? It's not like, oh, I want the new sports car, God, please give me the new sports car. Like, well, no, is your will aligned with, with God's, right? And even Christ had to, uh, 
very one with God. And so we see, um, just a contrast of that in Matthew, where, you know, there's a proverb that says a bribe is like a magic stone, whatever way you turn it, um, it goes. And so it's kind of like, you know, you can pray your will be aligned with God's, or you can, you know, have a, a magic stone and, and bribe your way through, um, get what you want, and... Matthew, we see how one of the ways uh, uh, soldiers were bribed, and um, this uh, rumor has been told about the Jews to this day. And, you know, I'll read it for us. As they were on their way, some of the guards came to the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. And after the priests had, had assembled with the elders and agreed on a plan, they gave soldiers a large sum of money and told them, Stay, Say this, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were sleeping. And if this reaches the governor's ears, we'll deal with him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been spread among the Jewish people to this day. And so we know that um, uh, Stanley had um, accepted a great, great sum of money. Essentially, uh, money. And uh, had Mike Baker uh, pay him to satisfy the governor with this story and this lie as he uh, accepted this great that you must take some money that you oops so we know that you know um, the soldier uh, was guarding this uh, dead man's body resurrected and um he got a large, large sum of money for this, and he said, okay, I will, uh, you know, keep this, uh, confidential, and, you know, you, you keep paying me <laughs> installments, uh, monthly, uh, to harbor this, large, large amounts, and, um, uh, if it comes to the governor's ears, I'll, I'll deal with him, I'll satisfy him, don't worry, I'll, I, I can wield it around, and this story has been told among the Jews to this day. And that's essentially um, what they've been told. They didn't know um, that, you know, the guard was bragged off. And they didn't know that he was guarding uh, this dead man. And they didn't know um, that he was wielding his craft with the governor to keep him out of trouble. And um, that's why he, that's, that's why he was here. And that's where he came from. And he, you know, collected a large, large amount of money, um, over a course of years, uh, monthly. So much so that some say that, um, you know, the whole, uh, town, uh, um, you know, lost, um, <laughs> a deed for her for it. So, you know, it was very, um, sneaky. Uh, the Jews didn't know any better because this was a story that was told from, from the beginning. And it was essentially uh, their little uh, 
agreement and the elders a little uh, agreement to keep this um, on the down low and to keep it um, from getting out and to keep them protected and so he accepted a large amount of money to accept uh, with the governor with this lie that he told them so we just see the contrast of that and well you could pray and align your will with God and try that with it well um Jesus does describe God's love for believers in this passage as well and you know he kind of goes on to say um you know a woman lay their life down for the friend as the father has loved me I also love you remain in my love if you keep my commandments my commands you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands you remain in his love I have spoken these things to you so that you may have joy. You so, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. <clears throat> I do not call you slaves anymore because a slave does not know his master, what his master is doing. I have called you friends. Because you have made known to, I have made known to you everything I've heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to sh- that you should go out and produce fruit, and that your fruit should remain. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He'll give you. This is what I command you: love one another. And so, um, you know, we see God's love uh, for believers and. Matthew 10 can tell us, you know, especially in a time of persecution, especially in a time of, um, you know, they're, they're Paul was persecuting Christians. What do you say, Paul? Paul, why? Jesus, Paul, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? Is um, Saul was persecuting the Christians? Was like persecuting Christ. And so, um, same with, um, in Matthew 10, where he tells us that, you know, the one who welcomes you, welcomes me. The one who welcomes me, welcomes him who sent me. Anyone who welcomes a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who welcomes a righteous person, because he is righteous, will receive a righteous person's reward. And anyone who gives just a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, because he is a disciple, um, I assure you, he will never lose his reward. Um, so we see that, you know... God uh, rewards you for what for what you do for your for your work, and you know your work here does does matter, right? And you know there is consequences or loss of rewards um, as well as uh, gain, gains of rewards. And so you know the person that welcomes a, a persecuted disciple uh, welcomes Jesus Himself. And one, the one who, who sent him, God, to, right? And he can expect, 
to receive a, a heavenly reward for that. And um, just as a person who uh, would welcome a, a prophet or a righteous person um, will this way, Festus exclaimed in a loud voice, you're out of your mind, Paul. Too much studying is driving you mad. But Paul replied, I'm not know that, you know. Paul replied, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. On the contrary, uh, I'm speaking with sound words. Sound words of truth and good judgment, right? This isn't uh, the talk of someone that's out of their mind. I'm not babbling here and drooling and uh, making uh, bad judgment calls, talking like an um, irrational person, talking about things that are maybe um, harmful or, you know, not making any sense, right? He's like, I'm not out of my mind. I'm speaking words of truth and good judgment. Amen. For the king knows about these matters. It is to him I am actually speaking boldly, for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his notice. Since this was not done in a corner, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? And Paul said, I wish before God that whether easily or with difficulty, not only you, but all who listen to me today might become as I am, except for these chains. So the king, the governor, Bernice, and those sitting with them got up, and when they had left, they talked with each other and said, this man is not doing anything deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been released if he had not appealed to Caesar. So we know that, um, obviously, there's no delusions here. There's no uh, mentally uh, illness, mental challenge. Sound judgment, words that are coherent and uh, truth. And uh, this was not done in the corner to give his notice. He's quite aware of these matters and what was going on. And um, was he trying to persuade him to become a Christian in such a short time so easily? He's like, yeah, I'm trying to persuade everyone to become a Christian just like I am. I wish everyone would be, except for, you know, persecuted and and chained as I am in in this matter. But, yes, uh, why not? And so um, that was his his goal, and that was, you know, his confidence in Christ that he wished all would have. And so um, the, the judgment then could only lead to one conclusion, that Paul was innocent. And that uh, his life was uh, a service to the Lord and um, not the judgment of man. And so they found that all the charges were groundless before uh, both the Romans and the Jewish authorities. And that um, Paul's appeal to Rome uh, put his case case in a special category that uh, was going to be discharged by Caesar himself. And so, yes... um, Every um, good judgment that he pointed out uh, was a major event um, that took place in, in full view of, of hundreds of thousands of people and didn't escape his notice either. And so um, we see that, you know, King Agrippa 
uh, was a good, good Jewish man, and that um, he did uh, did accept the prophets and, and their message about Jesus. He should have, and so um, yes, uh, he his response was kind of uh, sarcastically or convincing me to be a Christian. And Paul's like, yes, that's my boldness in Christ, and uh, I convince anyone listening to me today. And so we see just his um, logic and uh, persuading them and um, how his uh, objective judgment, or anyone's objective judgment, could only conclude that Paul was an innocent man and um, essentially um, did this all for service to the Lord and um, as unto the Lord. So, um... Why is loving others important? Well, Isaiah 41. counselor among them. When I ask them, they have nothing to say. Look, all of them are a delusion. Their works are non-existent. Uh, their images are wind and emptiness. This is my servant. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him, and he'll bring justice to the nations. He'll not cry out or shout or make his voice heard in the streets. He'll not break a bruised reed, and he'll not uh, put out a smoldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice, and he'll not grow weak or be discouraged until he has established justice on earth. The islands will wait for his instruction. And so we just see, um, you know, God's comparison to these uh, idols who are essentially as wind, as nothing, non-existent, these false gods. And they couldn't give advice. They couldn't counsel. They couldn't proclaim uh, the things to come. They couldn't tell the good news. And, um, you know, uh, essentially it's leading to Cyrus, uh, the Persian king, who uh, no one would have ever thought would be the one to set the Jewish exiles free and to uh, let the Jews go back to um, their home, right? And God's like, who, who could have who foresaw this? Who, who could have announced this? And that's just like God using, you know, the most unlikely sources and the most unlikely people um, to do his work and to do his great kingdom work. And no one would have ever thought uh, Cyrus's uh, 
king would be the one to um, release the Jews that were in exile there to go back to their their homeland. And so, you know, um, that's just like God who um, brings us good news to Jerusalem. And um, um, that's just like God who uh, only he can proclaim these things that no other idol could could ever have imagined, never had uh, ever suspected. And um, they're, you know, ignorant and dumb of the future things and they know nothing. So that's just kind of um, how God works and um, then how he chose his, um, his anointed one and the spirit in him. And so, um, you know, we have um, this uh, servant mission, which is Christ. And, um, you know, um, he addresses uh, the nation, the nation, nation, the nation as a servant. And, um, um, kind of, uh, I guess, uh, continues to go on with their purifying uh, of Jerusalem and Israel. Well, um, for what purpose did Jesus choose his followers, and why did he uh, choose his followers? Well, um, that kind of took us to this mustard seed parable, where... Okay, I explained this last time how, you know, the kingdom of God... Start off really small, right? Um, one, one, one person, Abraham, and, and then you know they became this people group, and then you know we moved into um, the disciples, and then we moved, um, you know, into uh, you know bigger and bigger. And essentially, um, it's like a mustard seed, right? It's of the small, the smallest of the seeds. And, you know, when planted, I'm going to butcher it in my, uh, <laughs> my paraphrasing, but, you know, when planted, um, it's a very tiny seed, and then it grows, become a very tall tree, where birds of all different kinds. It's fast, but... Oh my goodness. Sorry, I keep sniffling. <laughs> I don't want snuff to find down there sorry guys I'll have to turn yeah. you get the unedited version of my you know that 
Okay, so we're talking about how the king of God uh, started out very, very small, and then grew and grew and grew, and then what happened? It became a big tree. It started out with a tiny little seed, like a mustard seed, and then grew to become a big tree. Or birds of all different kinds, right? All, all different uh, ethnos came and perched on the branches and found safety and security and shelter there. And so the parable of the mustard seed um, is kind of uh, likening to this uh, kingdom of God and how it has very small beginnings, but then grew to be very, very big and um, uh, all-encompassing. And let me see, um, for what purpose did Jesus uh, choose his disciples? God will show me. He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the vegetables and becomes a tree. So the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. He told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a yeast, like yeast that a woman took and uh, mixed into 50 pounds of flour until it spread through all of it. Give heaven, I'm sorry. So, uh, yes, very small beings and um, growth and growth and growth being one of the tallest trees and um, all the birds of um, every kind come in uh, and nest in the branches. So, um, we see that too with his uh, John 15, which we are in. The original verse, you know, um, love one another, no one has greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends, and if uh, you do what I command you, I do not call you slaves anymore because a slave doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you that you go out and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give to you. This is what I command you. Love one another. And so we see this. Um, yes, he appointed uh, these disciples, but um, we see how this British off then to, to uh, all, all people. Um, and how, yes, it, it starts off being small. Yes, I appointed you disciples. Yes, uh, I, I chose you. Follow me, follow me, right? To his disciples. But then uh, the fruit that was born from that and the magnitude of that. And then um, just a couple other verses I wanted to add. Um, It's um, Christians, and we know that uh, they persecuted Jesus, and they'll persecute you too. And so, um, oftentimes we um, wonder why you know the world hates us, and you know we are to have one foot in the world to be in the world, not of it. And Jeremiah seventeen.
24 and once again we'll go back to Israel and um, you know Judah here you know Jeremiah's pleading with Judah and talking talk about their persistent uh, sin and why God finally um, how he how he disciplines them and why he finally um, uh, oh go ahead read it so um, let me back up this is what the Lord said to me go and stand at the people's gate through which the kings of Judah enter and leave, as well as all the gates of Jerusalem. Announce to them, Hear the word of the Lord, King of kings of Judah, all Judah, and all the residents of Jerusalem who enter through these gates. This is what the Lord says, Watch yourselves. Do not pick up a load and bring it in through the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. You must not carry a load out of your houses on the Sabbath day or do any work. But you must consecrate the Sabbath day, just as I commanded your ancestors. They wouldn't listen or pay attention, but became obstinate, not listening or accepting discipline. They brought their load there on the Sabbath. However, if you listen to me, says the Lord, and do not bring loads through the gates of the city on the Sabbath day, and consecrate the Sabbath day and do not work on it, kings and princes will enter through the gates of the city. They'll sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and horses, with their officials, the men of Judah, and the residents of Jerusalem. This city will be inhabited forever. And then the people will come from the cities of Judah and from areas around Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin and from the Judean foothills, from the hill country, uh, and from the Negev, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifice green offerings frankincense thank offerings to the house of the lord if you do not listen to me to consecrate the sabbath day by not carrying a load while entering the gates of jerusalem on the sabbath day i'll set fire to the gates and it will consume the citadels of jerusalem and they will not be extinguished so uh, i think we've seen that time and time again and we know um King Grippa uh, was aware of that as well, and so, you know, um, it's just a shame how um, the fire that is not extinguished uh, had become a result of these guys being obstinate and not listening to God and not uh, consecrating the Sabbath and not um, um, uh, being respectful of uh, the Sabbath and okay, carrying their load through the gate. I told him time and time again, you must not do that. Well, I think that speaks for itself. And we know that people often um, respond um, to Christians in, in hostile ways. And um, often they respond, um, the world, you know, hates you at times. Just like they did Jesus. And they might respond to this hostility and um The nobleman traveled to a far country to, to receive for himself authority to be king and then return. He called ten of his slaves, gave them ten minas, and told them, Engage in business until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We don't want this man to rule over us. 
And so, um, just a little context for this, you know, um, if you're not familiar with this first, this, uh, authority here is God. And so, um, he told these guys, he gave them each their talents and each their gifting and told them to, um, you know, uh, engage in, in their business and for this duration of, of absence and, you know, uh, the original kind of Jesus' absence, um, as this nobleman, um, which was, you know, 2,000 years before, um, he ascended to heaven, and then, you know, um, um, let me go back to, um, so essentially then, um, you know, what, what they do with what he gave them, and, and, you know, when he comes back, um, were they faithful with it, and, um, did the consequences of rejecting him and his rule, and, um, you know, each of his slaves that are interested, uh, with what they, um, what he gave them. Christ, not, not God, I guess I should say. And so, um, let's go back. Therefore, uh, the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Therefore, he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and to return. He called ten of his slaves, gave them ten minas, and told them to engage in business until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We don't want this man to rule over us. At his return, having received the authority to be king, he summoned those slaves he had given the money to, so he could find out how much they had made in business. The first came forward and said, Master. Okay, so we're... Oh, Christ, doing the parable of the minas. And so, uh, the first came back and said, Master, your mina has earned ten more minas. Well done, good slave, he told them. Because you have been faithful in very small matters, you have, have authority over ten towns. The second came and said, Master, your mina has made five minas. So he said to him, You will be over five towns. And another came and said, Master, here's your mina. I have kept it hidden away in cloth because I was afraid of you. For you are a tough man. You collect what you didn't deposit and you reap what you didn't sow. He told him, I will judge you by what you have said, you evil slave. If you knew I was a tough man collecting what I didn't deposit and uh, reaping what I didn't sow, why didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. So he said to those standing there, Take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. But they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. But bring here these enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. So we know that, you know, uh, 
there are these ones that didn't want Christ to rule over them. They didn't want his authority. They rejected him. There's dire consequences for rejecting Christ. And there's rewards for following Christ. And it's consistent with our our fruit and uh, pruning in our branches, right? And it's like, yes, um, if you obey Christ and follow him and um, obey what, what he says and, and build upon that foundation, um, you know, there's great, great reward uh, when he returns. And, um, you know, we're still waiting for his return. And so, um, as well as, you know, if you reject him and um, you are not faithful and, um, you know, you uh, do not want his rule over your life and, um, you know, don't think he'll return and won't ask you what you've done with what he gave you. You don't think he'll ask for an accounting for what he stewards you with. You know, um, you will find out that he will say, uh, you know, uh, slaughter them uh, in front of me. And these ones that reject me and don't want my rule over them. And we've seen that, uh, too, when the destruction of Jerusalem came uh, in AD 70. And, um essentially the, uh, you know, elders and the preaching, teach, teaching priests and uh, preachers with hatred and all of that uh, vehemently uh, accused Jesus and, and uh, rejected him and pushed for his uh, um, crucifixion um, and how uh, the whole destruction of Jerusalem um, came from there. So, yes, uh, he said to um, bring them here, these enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them, to slaughter them in my presence. Uh, so, yes, there are consequences for rejecting Christ. Um, and as well as, you know, how do we, how do we interact with the world and how do we... Um, believers engage uh, with the world with our proper response, right? But um, I used to always ask God, how do I respond properly sometimes to this? And, um, you know, there's, uh, Johnny gives us account of this woman that was caught in adultery. And, you know, we have some discretionaries um, on this because a lot of versions says this wasn't uh, included in the original manuscripts and the original um, scriptures and it was kind of added later and they thought it goes here because the, the author and, and the writings were very similar and so we're not sure uh, if this was even included in the original scriptures or not. We're not sure um, what the background to the story is and how it got here um, but it's placed um, uh, in John 8 in our, our modern Bibles. I think my uh, online Bible doesn't include it um, in it, but, uh, some of our Bibles, uh, do, and so, um, you know, there's some, uh, <laughs> a lot of, uh, hearsay around this passage, <laughs> but my point is, uh, if we read this, and, um, my question, you know, uh, how does a believer rightly interact with the world? Well, let's see how Jesus does so, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in adultery, in an act of committing adultery. 
And they did this to, they wanted to, to test Jesus, right? They're always trying to test, stump Jesus, right? Can we get Jesus to, to you know, uh, can, we, can we stump the teacher, stump Jesus on something? So this was their test for him. And they're like, uh, the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? And they asked him this to trap him in order that he might have, they might have evidence to accuse him. So Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. And when they heard this, they left one by one um, with the older men. And only he was left with the woman in the center. And when Jesus stood up, he said to her, What? Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she, he, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go from now on and do not sin anymore. So the point of this is, um, obviously, um, you know, these men brought this woman here to make the story out to uh, stump Jesus when it was not true. And obviously, uh, it's probably the men engaged in it and they're trying to blame the, the women because we have a bunch of men uh, with one woman. It's probably more likely you guys were probably like <laughs> doing something to this one woman and then you wanted to blame her for it. And so... Um, the, part, the purpose of this then is, well, what was Jesus writing and, and what happened? Well, we noticed that uh, he tells us this clue that uh, they left one by one. No one could pick up the first stone and throw it. And they left starting with the oldest to the youngest. And what, what does that tell us? That tells us spiritual maturity, right? And, and to be mature in Christ, you would leave first because you're like, oh, wait, I can't throw the first stone because I'm so mature in Christ. I know I have sin. And, 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 you know, it's a bad view of the cross, and it shows your immaturity in Christ. If you, uh, you know, notice the, the speck in your uh, neighbor's eye or your brother's eye, you don't notice the, the plank in your own eye. And he's teaching us a lesson here on spiritual maturity. And we see that he's like, the one who uh, is without sin can be the first to throw the stone. And what happens? The oldest one leaves first. Sin. We like to think age, wisdom comes with age, uh, you know, according to Proverbs. And it's like, hopefully this one was the most spiritually mature and realized, oh, I am very sinful. Woe is me, Jesus. Uh, you know, uh, a man of unclean lips. And, and, you know, was the first to walk away without being able to throw us down. And then we see it, you know, go down to the youngest, um, essentially, because, um, they, they had to grow a little bit and mature in their faith. They realized, oh, wait, I have sin too. Oh, wait, I, I, I'm sitting here, you know, uh, point out this this woman's sin when I'm not even aware of my own sin. And, and you know, we say the closer you are to Christ, the more uh, repentant you should be, right? The more aware of your own sin you should be, the more you should be like, oh, well, woe is me. As we've seen every encounter with Jesus, Isaiah, right? He's like, got a glimpse of God's glory and his training feeling the whole whole and he's like I am a man of unclean lips you know you realize your own depravity before holy God you realize your own sinfulness before holy God and we see that with Peter um, when he realized uh, Christ's uh, glory as well so you know the typical reaction is wow I'm so sinful 
in comparison to, to Christ. And so spiritual maturity then would lead us to be like, that one's not lining up, this one's uh, uh, got some sin, Jesus, that that one's a sinner, Jesus, that, that, that one, uh, do you know what she did? did? Let me tell you, did you see the speck in that one's eyes? Uh, uh, guess what this one did? Uh, uh, that, that's immaturity in your faith. You're a little kid still, you're, you're, you're a little kid last in line. Spiritual maturity would say, uh, let me walk away first. Spiritual maturity would say, I, I'm the first to walk away, Jesus. I can't pick up a stone and throw it because I realize my own depravity before you. And that's what he's teaching here. And if you were uh, any mature in your faith, any spiritual in your faith, you would be pointing out everyone else's sins. You'd be, uh, woe is me. I'm a sinful man. Uh, who am I for holy God? Let me walk away first. And you realize your own depravity before Christ. And said, so, uh, that one there, uh, oh, you know what? Oh, no, she, yeah, yep, yep, Jesus, you know what? Jesus, look at what this one did. Jesus, look at this one, this one. And, and this, Jesus, tell us, you know, you're the last little kid to leave the line here because you're ready to throw that stone. And you don't even realize your own depravity. And you don't even realize your own, you know, immaturity in the faith. And that's, you know, one of the pieces he gives us is that they left first turn with the oldest, right? And we see, oh, this one has some maturity in his faith, I realized, before holy God and his depravity. And he's not even able to throw that stone. So we see, you know, um, we need to mature sometimes instead of pointing out everyone else's faults and sins and specks it and look at our own uh, faults in our own sins and our own depravity, our own <laughs> need for a savior because it is grave. And so lastly, um, you know, um, how we've experienced fruit in our lives and how um, we've seen Christ bring great aversion uh, to some of our works. Um, I don't know what I wrote here, <laughs> but I do have a passage of oh, X 18, 12, and then I have one. Um, 18, 12. Well, Galilee. Galileo was proconsul of Achaia. The Jews made a united attack against Paul and brought him to the judge's bench. This man, they said, persuades people to worship God contrary to the law. And as Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of a crime or a moral evil, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you Jews. But if these are questions about words, names, and your own law, See to it yourself. I don't want to be a judge of such things. So he drove them from the judge's bench. Then they all seized Sothenus and the leader of the synagogue and beat him in front of the judge's bench. But none of these things concern Galileo. So we just see how, um, you know, at this capital, uh, they found that these were just uh, mere words in their own, um, Jewish beliefs in their own um, Jewish uh, context and he did not want to be the judge of any of it and you know he didn't want to even um, put up with these bickerings and matterings of uh, words and he dismissed it and then um, 2 Kings 
but we have Naaman, this man that had leprosy. And um, this little prophet girl um, told, uh, I'll read it for you. So, um, when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel, oh, back up. So, Naaman, the commander of an army of the king of Aram, was a great man in his master's sight, highly regarded because of, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. And the man was a brave warrior, but he had a skin disease. Aram had got on raids and brought back from the land of Israel a young girl who served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would go to the prophet who is in Samaria, he could cure you uh, him of his skin disease. This girl, she was a Jewish girl, and she heard of this prophet that can heal people of leprosy and their skin disease, and she told um, her mistress that that uh, if he uh, goes there, this prophet can, can cure him, cure him of his skin disease. So Naaman went and told his master what the girl from the land of Israel had said. Therefore, the king of Aram said, Go, and I'll send a letter with you to the king of Israel. So he went and took with them 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, 10 changes of clothes, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel and read it. When this letter comes to you, note that I have sent my servant Naaman for you to cure him of his skin disease. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes. <laughs> like, Sunday morning, right? Am I God? Killing and giving life? That this man expects me to cure a man of skin disease? Think it over. You will see that he is only picking a fight with me. When Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel tore his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Have him come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the door of Elijah's house. When Elijah sent him a messenger, sent him a messenger who said, Go wash seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean. But Naaman got angry and left, saying, I was telling myself, he will surely come out and stand and call the name of Yahweh his God, wave his hand over me, and tell me, right? He's like, go wash in the Jordan seven times, and you'll be clean. He's like, what? I thought you just go like, kapoof, and make it clean, right? Over the spot, and cured me of my skin disease. Aren't Arbana and Farpar, the rivers in Damascus, better than the waters of it? Better than all the waters in Israel? Can I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned left and right. He's like, I gotta go in this dirty river, and these two rivers are cleaner than that Jordan River. Do I have to go in that one and be clean? And he said, uh, but the servant approached him and said, my, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more should you do it when he tells you to? Wash and be clean. So Naaman went down, dipped himself in the Jordan seven times according to the command of the man of God. Then his skin was restored and became like the skin of a small boy, and he was clean. Then Naaman and his whole company went back to the man of God, stood before him, and declared, I know there is no God in the whole world except for in Israel. Therefore, please accept the gift from your servant. But Elijah said, As the Lord lives, I stand before him. I'll not accept it. Naaman urged him to accept it, but he refused. Naaman responded, If not, 
Please let your servant be given as much soil as a pair of meals could carry, for your servant will no longer offer a burnt offering or sacrifice to any other god but Yahweh. However, in a particular matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master, the king of Aram, goes into the temple of Rimon to worship, and I, as his right-hand man, bow in the temple of Rimon. When I bow in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. So he said to go in peace. So we see that he had uh, got, got pardoned for bowing, and he couldn't help his compulsion um, to worship this um, God of Rimon and bow down in the temple to his God. He... Uh, couldn't help himself to uh, worship in this way and ask for a pardon on it because he just uh, couldn't resist and um, ultimately he came to Israel to, to uh, get this uh, skin disease of his cured because he had a great great uh, skin defiling uh, leprosy and he didn't know how uh, he should be cured and this prophet girl told him well dip in the Jordan seven times and you'll be cured and he was reluctant to do it at first and then he did and he became clean and his skin uh, was like a small boy's and he was clean and so um, that day he was like now I know there's no God but in all Israel and he believed and uh, was grateful for the servant girl and wanted to give the servant girl a gift and she she refused like no I don't I don't I won't accept your gift and he insisted and insisted, but she's like, no, no, uh, or Elijah, and um, he's like, no, no, I won't accept your gift from you, and he's like, okay, well then, please pardon me when I bow down to the, in the house of Rimon, in this, uh, uh, false god, uh, in this temple, please, please, uh, forgive me, pardon me, and so there we have it, guys, this is, uh, just of our study, fruit of our works and how God does uh, reward and uh, punish and prune what we do and, and what we don't do right uh, overtly and covertly and spiritual omission. maturity would say I, I'm the first omission and commission recap it because I think of mine didn't record last week and I got another one coming tomorrow if you're so inclined to join with the rest of um, John 15 uh, tomorrow and um, 9 o'clock central time if you can catch it live I'm not sure how many people can actually catch it but um, I'm broadcasting it if it goes through or not I'm not sure probably probably won't but uh, for those that can um, I'm grateful for it and so, just a reminder that our, our works matter. They will be tested by the fire, and they uh, matter what we build on. We build on the foundation, which is Christ. And um, they will last, or they will fizzle to nothing. And uh, there's rewards, and there's consequences. And that's not only what we build, but also, you know, there's um, omission and commission of sin and what we don't do. Sometimes when we should be um, standing up and, and for the weak and for the fathers, for the orphan, for the abused, for the persecuted, offering them a, a drink, right? And how um, there's reward in that, and how um, there's 
schedule, so consequences for our lack of doing things as well. So, thank you guys for joining me on this uh, Saturday evening and for the study, and um, I think it was just a great reminder of um, God and how He is still at work. He's still on the throne, <laughs> and He's still working among us, and He's still working in and through us, so... I uh, take courage to that, and I find great hope in that, and, you know, um, if anything, you know, our work is still, still, um, before his eyes, and we still work as unto him, so, thank you guys, and thank you for encouraging me, and joining me today on the study, and I hope uh, this word encourages you as well, thanks, see you soon, let's do it again tomorrow, night. So we're talking about how the kingdom of God uh, started out very, very small, thinker and then.